Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here are your co-hosts, Shenandoah Connor and Barron's Hall of Fame top advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome everyone to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. And here driving this crazy ship with me is Jonathan Cutton. Say hi, John. Hey, Shenandoah. Hello to the audience. Happy to be here uh, today. And I've got to share, I am unbelievably excited to introduce our guest today. As I've had other guests on the show over uh, the last you know, several months, many of those leaders and advisors who've become unbelievably successful um, owe a lot of that success, including myself, to Mr. Doug Lennox. So Doug, you've touched uh, my life in a very meaningful way uh, and many uh, advisors and leaders' lives in many meaningful ways. So I'm extremely grateful for you coming on today and really excited to have you here. Uh, so with that being said, I'd love you to say a quick hello to the audience and maybe Doug, introduce yourself and maybe tell everyone a little bit about your background and uh, all that you've accomplished in a very, very short career. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's how I got to be called Godfather by you by being in a ship by being short, you know. So it's a uh, I get called Yoda once in a while, and Yoda is really old. Godfather is not uh, not quite that old. But anyway, my background uh, goes back. My background in the financial services industry goes back to uh, 1973. So I started my training in the fall of 1973. And as Pinocchio said, I became a real boy uh, when I was appointed a registered representative, which was the term at the time uh, in March of 1974. And I started just like uh, everybody did at that time. We were a Lone Ranger business and um, I was an independent uh, Lone Ranger. So there were no team practices, nothing like we see in the world today. Uh, and uh, I had some success as a, as a producer. I did well uh, in the company I was with. I started with what was then called IDS. It, it's changed its name a few times, uh, been acquired by American Express, uh, spun off the company to become Ameriprise Financial. And so I was with those combinations of, of companies. I went into leadership. Uh, became a, a district manager and division manager and a vice president and a senior vice president and an executive vice president. And, and I ended up uh, running uh, the advisor business at what is now Ameriprise. And I did that for about 13 years. And then um, I decided to start my own company. So that was long ago. And, and, and so in the, in the year 2000, I left my old position and started getting ready to, to launch this business. I was asked to hang around for a while. Uh, and then 9-11 happened. They asked me to hang around a little longer. Uh, but I had left my position and I reported directly to the CEO of American Express, uh, Ken Chenault at the time. And I supported uh, the businesses around the world uh, and worked on leadership development and on diversity and the development of uh, women and people of color and, uh, and sales. 
you know, things that I, I know how to do. And so that was kind of how that happened. And uh, then I started Think to Perform. And our business at Think to Perform is focused on enhancing the world. I'm a very vision, mission, values-based guy. So our, our vision is to enhance the world. That's the short version. Our mission is to make a positive difference every day. And our values are people, integrity, growth, excellence. And so every day I think about all those things. And with that, I will shut up. Otherwise, I'll make this a long commercial about me. No, no, love it, Doug. And well, well said. And uh, today, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the founder of Think to Perform. Um, and yes. from the audience perspective, you've all heard me uh, talk a little bit about Doug and uh, a fair amount about Ray Kelly, who uh, is my coach. So can't say enough great things uh, about you and the organization. So I am going to ask for a little bit of an infomercial uh, here, Doug. Tell us what what is Think to Perform? What does Think to Perform do uh, for business owners and advisors? And maybe we can get a little under the hood in, uh, in your Dougisms and uh, kind of words <laughs> of wisdom here. Sure. Well, uh, Think to Perform our, as I stated, our vision is to enhance the world. The longer statement is through improving the performance and the decision-making of the individuals and organizations we serve. Because our vision is to enhance the world, we have chosen to focus our efforts in areas of, of the world that we feel uh, could use the most help. And, and that leads us into financial services. So if you look at the, the world uh, and even here in the domestic United States, uh, money and money issues are a big deal. Uh, and they're a big deal all over the world. Uh, we also focus on health services. So health care and wealth care. And, and we get into education uh, and nonprofits. So the bulk of our business is in all those areas. Although we'll do things uh, for retail companies like Target or uh, other firms that are, are good sized firms that are looking for leadership development, things like that. Uh, we focus on uh, the development of differentiating competencies. So we, we essentially recognize that cognitive and technical competencies are table stakes. Everybody has to have them and the differentiators are, are moral and emotional. And so we are experts on human behavior, financial and otherwise. So, uh, so we combine uh, some neuroscience with some psychology and real life experience. So that's a mouthful. So that's kind of what we do. Love it, love it. So um, obviously I'd like to focus some on the financial services space because most of our audience is there in the financial services space. So I think of you, Doug, as um, an amazing leadership development guy, right? That has a specific focus when it comes to emotional competency, moral intelligence. I know you've authored several books and co-authored uh, some books. So maybe you could help our audience understand, right? If I'm a listener here and I'm a financial advisor looking uh, to build a business, right? And I've learned a lot of this through, through you and your organization, right? Building um, more of a vision, mission, values-based culture um, and really being able to help people do things that they couldn't do without you as the leader. Um, could you talk a little bit about what that means? What is that emotional and moral uh, intelligence and the kind of work that you do there? 
Well, really, um, one of the things that we recognize is uh, what we are attempting to do for ourselves and for others uh, is help them live in what we call alignment and on purpose, live in alignment and on purpose. So we have a fairly straightforward alignment model and we apply the development of emotional and moral intelligence and competence in order to help us stay aligned or get back in alignment when we disconnect. And so the alignment model is a three-frame model. And uh, if people are taking notes, they can draw this real easily on a piece of paper. Going from left to right, the first box is the ideal self box. And in that box is uh, our, our principles and our values. So the principles that guide us, the values that we have. And then the second box is the box in that box is purpose and goals. Uh, and then the third box is our real self. And that's our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions. So the idea is to help ourselves and help others and help the organizations we work with make the ideal real. And so we venture to help guys like yourself, uh, who, who's quite all, already aligned. We just try to reinforce that and then help you with, with your team. Uh, and Ray is clearly one of the best uh, at that. And I, I don't know anybody any better, frankly, but I didn't want to go just too boastful and say he is the best, but he probably is. He, I don't know anybody better. And I, know thousands of people. Uh, and so he's, uh, he does a good job of doing that. And what happens is when we're living in alignment, we're behaving, it's a behavioral frame is the third frame, the real self, that's, that's thoughts. My thoughts are real, emotions, my emotions are real, and behaviors, my behaviors are real. And what we're trying to do is help people align their real self in a way that they achieve their goals and honor their purpose consistent with principles and values. And so values are personal choices. Principles uh, exist independent of personal choice. And so I, I'm kind of a Stephen Covey guy in that regard. And I had the great pleasure of getting to know Covey and working with Covey. In fact, I was in his office the day he was signing the Franklin Covey Institute papers. So uh, it was kind of a fun morning. He, he was doing a lot of that. I was in Provo and I was speaking for the Brigham Young uh, graduate students uh, that day and I spent the morning with Covey. Uh, but I believe like he did and sadly he passed away a few years ago uh, that there are principles and they apply to humankind uh, regardless of gender, ethnicity, location on the globe, or religious belief. And the four that we wrote about, my co-author Fred Keel and I, in Moral Intelligence, are integrity, responsibility, compassion, and forgiveness. Two principles of the head and two principles of the heart. And then values are personal, like mine are family, happiness, wisdom, integrity, service, and health. And so we look to help others be clear with themselves about their values so that 
they understand ideally who they are. And then we try to help them really be who they ideally would like to be. And, and when we disconnect, it's usually because of destructive emotions. Like sometimes I, I might say I value family uh, and um, one of my goals might be to be an outstanding husband or an outstanding father. And maybe I've had a difficult day at work and I come home from work having had this difficult day. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't care what kind of day these people have had, it is about to get worse. <laughs> and so, uh, so we walk in and we discover our family to be inappropriately upbeat. And so now what do we do with these upbeat people? And we can do this at work. We can do this with strangers. We can do this at home. We're now, we're upset and out of being upset, maybe we slam the door. Maybe we yell at somebody. Maybe, you know, we do something. We get angry. And, and the gap between anger and stupid is really short. You know, so I can, uh, you know, I can, I can move from being angry to being stupid really quickly and I disconnect. So my third frame actions are not consistent with my goal to be a great family man, nor with my value of family. I am now disconnected. And, uh, and what disconnected me are what we call destructive emotions. Sometimes, uh, moral viruses disconnect us. So between the third frame and the second, it's usually emotions that are the destructor, if you will. And between the second frame and the first, it's usually moral viruses. A moral virus, an example would be um, the end justifies the means, uh, might makes right. Uh, people of my color are better than people of other colors men are better than women or women are better than men, depending on which gender you are, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and those things can be corrected. So viruses can be corrected. We, we, as are experiencing here with the pandemic, all we need is a vaccine. <laughs> we do cognitive behavioral therapy, really, kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, pearls of wisdom in there. I, I would, I will listen to that one over and over again. So Thank you for that, Doug. I'm gonna, I've got Shenanoa cringes when I say this, but probably a half dozen questions in my mind. So I'm gonna drill down a little bit, um, if that's okay. So sure. you, you, you talked about, and I'm also realizing, Doug, as we speak here, how much of your stuff I steal and somehow thought it was mine. So thanks for, for, uh, for all that. Oh, uh, but you didn't steal, I gave it to you. Yes. I would wanna add one thing relative to the alignment model. It, it's like our, uh, Swiss army knife. So the alignment model is a model for self-management. So I, I use that to deal with me. It's also a model for leadership effectiveness. The most effective leaders live in alignment and they try to help the people they are leading live in alignment also. So you have an aligned, engaged organization. And then the third purpose is it is the, the foundation for a client relationship. So our listeners in advisory businesses can use this for three, and once you learn how to use it, it's, you can use it for all those purposes. And, and so what you wanna do with your clients is help them align their behaviors, their investment behaviors, their decision-making with their goals 
and with their values. Un unbelievable and lead leading me exactly to where I was going to go. So a um, couple of quick remarks and then a couple of questions. So the remarks would be, um, as, as we're all listening to Doug here, um, I look at it this way. I think what Doug is unbelievably masterful at um, is helping people live in alignment, right? How to make that ideal self, as Doug says, that real self. And I want to dig in a little bit in a minute about a little bit more about how you do that, right? So how, how do you actually do that? Are there certain tactics and things along those lines? But just as an aside, one of the things we learned um, from Ray and, and you, Doug, is, uh, is how to help clients actually do that. So uh, we've used your, you've created this really neat process of helping individuals, right, uh, actually become clear on what their core values are. And we've actually made that part of our financial planning process where we have a, our clients go through the values exercise, help them identify their five or six core values and have learned to help bring those values into the process to help them make smart decisions in alignment uh, with what's important to them, their values. So I think you're really right. And what clicked for me a couple of years ago is how what you teach is not about being a better financial advisor. It's not about being just a better husband or relationships or individual. Uh, it's all of that, right? So it's just how do you actually become a better, all around better person um, and get to your personal um, best in all areas of your life, which is really hard, right? Because something's always kind of, one plate is always wobbling, right? And I feel like life is just about, is it my business? Is it my marriage? Is it my kids? Is it my finances? There's usually a wobbly plate out there. And that's what's really hard is to get clear on what's actually important. So one of the things I've learned from you, Doug, and from Ray. You um, want to work for, for us? You could join our firm. That's good. <laughs> you I never don't think know. he needs any more, <laughs> any more careers. <laughs> but maybe I should join yours. I don't know. <laughs> I've got some I've got some wobbly plates in my life as well, for sure. But um, you know, I've I, I'm a believer that um, self-awareness, right, becomes a really big part of being able to identify if you're living in alignment. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about kind of how, how you know if you're living in alignment, how you start kind of start that process of making some small change and improvement. Well, the, the, that's a great question. And your uh, observation about self-awareness is spot on. You know, the research is pretty clear on this. Uh, the, the most important emotional competency, the biggest predictor of how emotionally intelligent and emotionally competent we will be is self-awareness. So if you look at all the components of uh, emotional competence or emotional intelligence, intelligence is, is knowing and competence is doing. And there is a big gap between knowing and doing. So. Uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, they, they hear something once or they read a book and they said, oh, I already saw that, I already read that. And then my question to them is, are you ready to perform at Madison Square Garden? Could you get up and, and perform? Well, you know, it's like, name that tune. I can name that song, I got that. You yeah. got that, can you perform that? Well, <laughs> you know, and so, so it's about doing 
and uh, and so self awareness is the beginning. And one of the things that we do is, you know, we have this logic chain, a relationship logic chain. So if you think about relationships with people and money, make that the headline. And there, there are four steps to it from bottom up. It starts with self-awareness on the bottom. The next step up is decision-making. The next step up is effective self-management. And the next step up is effective relationships with people and money. This is the logic chain. So going the other way, we have effective relationships with people and money is a function of effective management of oneself. Effective management of oneself is a function of decision-making, real-time decision-making. And effective decision-making is a function of self-awareness. Now, here's the great, of course, people who lack self-awareness, you know, and that in and of itself is problematic. So one of the things we do is teach people how to become self-aware. The answer to the question, how will I know I'm living in alignment, is I will be actually doing the third thing, the things in the third frame that allow me, I will be managing myself to do what needs to be done in the third frame to achieve my goals and honor my sense of purpose in the second frame, and in turn align that with the first frame, the ideal self-frame, principles and values. And that's about real-time decision-making. Now, most of us are nice people. So when we are not nice to someone, we typically apologize. What we try to teach people is how to avoid the behavior that would necessitate an apology. Why not skip the behavior? And just say, you know, Shenandoah or John, you know, I was, I was going to yell at you and I wanted you to know that I was going to do that and I've decided not to. But I, I didn't want you to think I wasn't thinking about yelling at you. Uh, you know, so that, that way you can feel like, and I would have apologized. I want you to know I would have apologized, but I'm just gonna skip that. But I, I wanna get credit uh, for apologizing. And I don't wanna do what I would have apologized for. So if you forgive me for not yelling at you, let's move on. Did you follow all of that? <laughs> <laughs> so the self-awareness exercise, by the way, uh, is the freeze game. So we recommend, and the way the brain works, this is the neuroscience, and I won't get into all of the brain terminology unless people want me to. Uh, so uh, Shenandoah, I, can, I know you want me to want to talk about what, what's the brain? I don't doing? want everybody mad at me though. So <laughs> I don't think everybody wants to get that nitty gritty. <laughs> uh, but, but, but the way the brain works is practice makes permanent. Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Whatever one repeatedly thinks or does gets wired into the habit center of the brain. And most of what we do, we do because we did. You know, so most of our behaviors are behaviors we've done before. Now, obviously there's a first time for everything, but then there's a second, a third and a thousand. And, and after about, you know, I remember about 10 years into 
thing to perform, I said, we're about to become an overnight success. <laughs> you know, we, we've done all these things for 10 years and guess what? We actually know what we're doing. And, and I always think about being a, a, a student and a practitioner and a teacher. So I encourage all of our listeners to be a student of human behavior. Why do people do what they do? That question. Why do people do what they do with their money? Why do people do what they do in their relationships? Why do they do what they do? Uh, and the second question, is it possible that one could really be who they would ideally like to be more frequently? And the answer to the second question is yes. The answer to the first question is more problematic. And that's why we bring in neuroscience and psychology. Neuroscience deals with the brain, psychology deals with the mind, and then real life experience. Now, people might get sound confusing, so let me sort it out real quickly. The mind and the brain are not the same thing. A way to, to remember this very, very simply, profoundly simply, as I think about simple, complex, profoundly simple, is think of the brain as an instrument and think of the mind as the musician. What's interesting about the instrument, the brain, is as we play the instrument with our musician mind, we physically change the instrument. That's called neuroplasticity. When we do it on purpose, it's called self-directed neuroplasticity. So we want to help people make self-awareness a habit, but it requires practice. Practice makes permanent. And any of your uh, listeners, if they would like, are welcome to enroll in a free values exercise. I, I get them, they're on my phone. I get them three times a day and, they, and it hits a pause button. And every time my phone clicks, I actually pause because I am like Pavlovian's dogs, you know, I'm salivating, the bell rang and I'm ready. Uh, and so the idea is to pay attention to who am I really? What am I thinking right now? How am I feeling emotionally right now? And what am I doing right now? And make paying attention to yourself a habit. And, and don't judge yourself, just pay attention to yourself. Hit the pause button, but if, if anybody wants, you'll be able to reach me at, and we can talk about that later, or you guys can send somebody contact info, I, I, you know, but it's free. It costs you nothing. Of course, we sell your name. No, that's, <laughs> we, we sell yeah. you to Amazon. Uh, but uh, so you got to be aware of who you are really. That's the freeze game. You've got to be aware of what you want for yourself. Witty Wiffy, what do you want for yourself? That's the middle frame. And you've got to be aware of who you are ideally. That's the first frame, values. So I am self-aware when I know my values, when I know my goals, and when I know my real self. 
You you could do a, a mic drop right there, Doug, and pearls of wisdom. So <laughs> I, I love it. And um, you use the word, word profoundly simple, right? And simple, complex, simple. Um, that's one of the things that you are the most masterful person uh, that I've ever seen is to take something that is really complex, right? And to make it really simple to understand. And, you know, observationally, um, we all had a chance, right, through COVID and go back, you know, to March of 2020 when markets were melting and we were all really afraid for our health and, you know, still are in, in many cases, right? But, um, you know, I think that was an opportunity where we really got to test our emotional competence, right? And kind of play that, that freeze game a bit. Um, etc. And, you know, I can share, I know people in my life, you're one of them, right? And amazing leaders that when things get bad, and they get really stressful, great leaders seem to get calmer, um, while everybody else around them, you know, is, is having emotional competency issues and starting to make decisions that are not necessarily in alignment with their real self. So, um, you know, when you think about that freeze game, Doug, can you just real, real quickly, because it's helpful for me, right? Uh, what was helpful for me and still is to just explain what, what does that mean exactly, right? So Shenandoah and I have an interaction. In, in my brain, some emotions are created, right? I didn't like what she said, or I didn't agree with it or whatever it may be. And my gut instinct is to probably react, right? Um, or to, to go into a shell or whatever it may be. What exactly is happening and how do you kind of play that freeze game? Well, what's happening, if, if you take that third frame, thoughts, emotions, and, and physical experience or action, you can picture that in the form of a triangle. So, uh, and what I would do if I were listening and taking notes, I would draw a triangle on a piece of paper and uh, the top of the triangle, I'd have a circle. And then in, the, uh, in each of the other points of the triangle, I would have a circle. The top, the top circle, I would write the word thoughts. The lower left circle, I would write the word emotions. And the lower right circle, I would write the, world, the word actions. Thoughts, emotions, actions. You could also look at that lower right circle as, as physical experience. So you've got actions and physical experience. Like right now, um, my, my heart is beating, I'm breathing. You know, some of our actions are voluntary, some are involuntary. Uh, I'm holding this bottle of water, I'm sitting in my chair, I'm sitting forward, I'm, uh, I'm engaged. That's is a physical thing going on. Uh, and, uh, you know, and all that's happening. That's my physical self. When my reality is stimulated from the outside, and you set it up perfectly, John, what happens is Shenandoah does something that upsets you. So she, when, when our reality is stimulated from the outside, it stimulates us emotionally first. And that's the way it works for all 7 billion people in the world. So this isn't peculiar to people in the United States. 
it's not peculiar to people in New York or Minnesota or Los Angeles or wherever you, our listeners might happen to be. It happens to 7 billion people. It happens to women, it happens to men, it happens to everybody. And when the emotional brain gets upset, you may have heard the term amygdala hijack, the, the limbic system, uh, which kind of regulates all that and kind of houses our emotional intelligence. By the way, emotions are intelligent, but they're not cognitive. Because we give them labels, we think they're cognitive, but we actually feel emotions. And so if we feel a, a high energy negative emotion, what will happen is the emotional brain will send a message uh, to the habit center, the physical that controls what we do routinely, and, and it'll stimulate the secretion of chemicals biologically designed to restrict cognitive thought. We cannot think clearly. Hmm. So apply this to uh, the markets. When the markets were tumbling, you know, last spring we didn't get enough time for the markets to go down, for this to really impact the investors. The investors had a relatively good year. They didn't do as well as the markets, they never do, yep. uh, but, but they did better than they normally do. <laughs> and so, uh, and, but, but go back to 08, 09. We had a, a long enough drop in the market that people panicked, advisors panicked, and people ran to safety. And they were taking, you know, and one of the hottest products in the industry was fixed annuities. People were moving money from equity mutual funds to fixed annuities because fixed annuities had their most attractive rates ever. And people thought this is great. By doing so, they locked in their losses. And then the, the annuity companies celebrated their the advisor's success. Well, the advisor was doing the wrong thing. Well, we called it needs-based selling. I need a commission, you need an annuity. <laughs> you know, and, and that was really happening. Uh, and so we need to be conscious of that. And that's what's going on in the brain. Now, the, the mind, think of the, these circles. Think of, think of the sun or think of the thought circle as the sun and think of the emotion circle as the moon. What we experience is a partial eclipse. And by the way, the brain cannot tell the difference between a bear market and a bear in the woods. <laughs> Makes sense. The, the emotional emotion brain. is the same. Right, right. Yeah. So the emotional brain, now the cognitive brain can, uh, this is a bear market. But the emotional brain, if it hijacks the cognitive brain, if you have the partial eclipse, what will happen is you'll run from the bear market but you don't want to run from the bear market. You want to be prepared for the bear market. And I would say on the best day of an advisor, the best day on your best day, you prepare people for the truth. And the truth is uncertainty. And if you prepare people for uncertainty and practice what we call the smart money philosophy, then your client will be positioned such that whenever they need money, 
for whatever the reason, there will be a smart place to get it. And therefore they will be prepared. That will help them reduce stress. Financial stress adversely affects both their decision-making and their physical health. So one of the most important things that advisors can do for clients today is help them reduce their stress. And people who are prepared for uncertainty, and I can ask you the question, if you knew, John, if you knew for sure that no matter what happened, if you needed to put your hands on some money, there would be a smart place to get it. If you knew that for sure, would that help you feel a little less stress? Sure would. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, Doug, again, pearls of wisdom. I don't want to throw you off track here, but you bring me to another part that I wanted to go into. Um, so you, you call it the smart money philosophy, right? And just, I took down some notes, a lot of notes, more notes than I ever take, because I generally don't write things down, but I've got two pages I'm showing you right now. Um, so um, two things that I wanted to kind of hit with you. One, to make you feel bad, you've been in this business uh, for a year after I was born. So I was born in 72. I think you said you started in 73. Yeah. Um, so since, since 1973, right, you've seen a lot. You've been in an amazing leadership role, touched you know thousands and thousands of advisors and therefore clients right through those advisors. Um, what have you seen change in the industry? And I guess more specifically, you know, as you know, Doug, we're very aligned that I'm a believer in true comprehensive planning. Um, and really, to your point, I call it stacking the odds in our clients' favor. Our firm's tagline is stolen directly from you, which is we help our clients to plan for the certainty of uncertainty. But, you know, through all of this, I always think of you as the guy who brought to my broker dealer um, comp true comprehensive financial planning around advice and goals and this kind of process that connects to more than just investment performance, but helping people attain true financial independence. And I think it ties in. I'd be curious to see since from 1973 to here we are in 2021, what's changed um, and are those principles still in your opinion um, kind of the key to building a thriving wealth management financial planning practice and providing value? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I, and I wanna say one thing and I, I didn't realize until today it was you, but uh, in honor of your birth in 1972, <laughs> uh, the Dow Jones uh, closed the year for the first time above a thousand. I thought I, I always thought that was about me. I wasn't sure. Yes, it's <laughs> yeah, good to know it was actually. It, it was uh, that's all he needs is to think yes. is to think that 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 there was a big you know omen on the. Uh, <laughs> <around> <laughs> <his birth. laughs> that's right. Well, do you know the next year the market closed above a thousand? Well, there we go. Yep, that was because it was the year you got into the business. No. The oh, do I know year, the next year that it happened the, that after seventy two. You're, you're testing me. I was working on crawling. Well, almost nobody would know this, uh, but, but for your listeners, this is kind of a fun fact. The next year the market closed above 1,000 uh, was 1982. Wow, that was a tough, tough 10 years. Yeah, and it went up, I think, 17 points. Wow. 
in those 10 years. Now, it didn't go straight up. <laughs> I, I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of zigged and zagged. And, and one of the things we learned in the 1970s is that if you wanted to have more money, you'd have to save some. And then the 80s came and all you needed uh, to have more money was a home equity credit, you know, because housing values were going up. And yep. so whenever you needed money, you just would uh, take another home equity credit out, uh, you know, so the, we, 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 you know, and, and people forgot to save. Saving habits got a lot worse. But the principles of preparing for uncertainty were really starting to be foundational for me in my career. And I was teaching others how to do what I did. Uh, and, and that continued on into the 1980s. And I used to write uh, these little formulas out. And I'm remembering the one I wrote down when I got into field leadership in 1975. I was uh, 23 years old. And, um, and everybody that worked in my group were all chronologically older than me. And, and I didn't know uh, uh, what, I, what I needed to know. And I, I remember sitting down with what now our yellow legal pads were then white. <laughs> it was, a, it was a, a white legal pad. And I wrote pages of what do I think I need to do to be valuable to the advisors. And then all of the advisors listening right now, I finally, I, I got to where I realized this is unmanageable and I balled them all up and I threw them in the garbage can and I wrote down two words in one sentence. The words I wrote down were leads and yep. fear. Hmm. And the sentence I wrote was, give me some fearless people with leads and we will be awesome. Love it. Love it. <laughs> now, later I learned that fear is actually a good emotion and fearless is not that smart. You know, uh, it's good to have fear because fear is telling us something. It's intelligence. It's a form of intelligence. But I wasn't smart enough at age 23 to know that. Oh. I, I learned that. And now what I would say is give me some emotionally competent people with leads and we will be awesome. You know, and, and so I talked about success. And, and by the way, I think of happiness and success as synonymous. You show me a happy person, I'll declare them successful. I don't care if they live in a castle or a tent. Hmm. You show me somebody that's got a lot of money and is miserable, I won't call them successful you know, they're not successful. If you can't make it to feeling good about your life and yourself, uh, most of the time, none of us are perfect. We will never, I personally don't live in alignment all the time. I, I And the pandemic actually helped contribute to me getting misaligned a little bit. And I realized by not traveling, it was not good for my health. Mm -hmm. I used to think maybe I travel too much. Now I think I don't travel enough. <laughs> I think so, a lot of people can can feel, you know, feel the same way. Yeah, well, and I contributed to, because I was just sitting around, um, 
I contributed to the 40% increase in, in uh, revenue for the liquor industry. <laughs> well, especially so, here in Texas, we, we were <laughs> a good chunk of that. I'm just saying, like, I think we were number one because we have to be number one in everything. So I'm just saying Texas dominated that one. <laughs> liquor, food, food service delivery, right? All the uh, uh, Uber Eats and all those kind of places, absolutely. Yeah, but the, but the basic principles, success or happiness equals a good attitude. I get to decide what attitude I bring with me every day, plus work effort. You know, a lot of times people have said, Doug, can you help me work uh, smart so I don't have to work hard? And I say, buzzer beater, eh, first smart thing to do is work hard. <laughs> in, in a, <laughs> so you show me a, in a competitive world, you show me a smart, hard worker, and they're competing with a smart, not hard worker, I can predict the outcome. Absolutely. You know, so work, work hard. I remember I played a couple of years of college football and, uh, and the coaches used to say, uh, I, and I, I practice every day, you know, and I, I weighed uh, 215 pounds and I, I was an offensive lineman and the guy that I blocked every day in practice weighed 265 pounds. And he was the last guy cut by the Minnesota Vikings a couple of years later. Wow. And the coaches used to say, it's, it's not how big you are, it's how hard you try. Well, it turned out when this 265 pound guy who could slam dunk a basketball and could outrun me, when he played hard and I played hard, I got hurt. <laughs> sounds about right that's a, you know, it's so work hard success equals good attitude plus work effort plus preparation you need to be prepared physically you need to be prepared mentally you need to be prepared emotionally and you need to be prepared morally you have to have for your business to be sustainable its underlying moral commitment to integrity must be very real because the sense. idea is trustworthy. You have to be trustworthy. And that's why I say anybody that's making mission statements, use the word trustworthy, not the word trusted. What's the guy that, uh, well, I can't, why am I drawing a blank? The, the guy that stole everybody's, Ber Bernie Madoff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep, yep, yeah. Yep. So, so Bernie, uh, you know, I flew into New York one day and I was a guest speaker at a big industry event. And, uh, and the guy that introduced me, I had never met him before, and they wanted me to talk about moral and emotional intelligence. And the guy uh, used Bernie Madoff in the introduction because he had just been uh, arrested. And, and I thought, wow, nobody has ever used Bernie Madoff and me in the same sentence before. And so I got up there and I says, you know, um, nobody's ever mentioned Bernie Madoff when introducing me before. But I, I must tell you that I'm from Minneapolis. For those of you not unfamiliar with it, it's it's west of the Hudson. And uh, so it's, it's, it's called flyover country. And all that land underneath the plain, as you go to Los Angeles, there are actually cities and towns. And, 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 and Minneapolis is, is one of them. And uh, and it's called the mini apple. And here I am in the big apple. Well, before uh, Bernie got busted for his scheme, 
the biggest scheme came out of the Minneapolis. But New York outdid us. <laughs> the Big Apple. You, you had a bigger scheme than anybody else. The guy that office next to me here in Minneapolis in this building, he and his brother lost $30 million with Bernie. Minneapolis was one of Bernie's uh, places of, of uh, business. Yeah. And so he did a lot of business here. And that guy would, would complain about that every day. I would see him. You know, I don't think he's, he still hasn't gotten over it. I mean, it kind of irritated him. And, yeah, and, and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, he, and, and, the, and that's because Bernie had no integrity. You know, so the moral thing is really big. So, so we've, and the emotional thing is really big. And the mental thing is really big. And, and we must develop a good value proposition. And so the, this is, we've gone around this a little bit, but we're still in the concept of what has happened and what has changed. That has not changed. You know, uh, Jim Collins and I, the guy that wrote From Good to Great, were uh, keynote speakers at um, a, a Bankers Association where it was a CEO conference for for bankers. So all, the entire audience was full of bank CEOs. And I got a chance to spend some time with Jim Collins. And one of the things he said is the things that there's two things that don't change in great people and in great organizations, two things. One is a commitment to values and two is a purpose. People have a purpose and they have a commitment to values. Everything else changes. Strategies change, technologies change, uh, tactics change, personnel changes, but purpose and values are there forever. Extremely well said, Doug. Yeah, that's, um, that will never change. And I think um, you know what, what I wanna do here is um, unfortunately, wrap things up a little bit. You, Doug. Oh, I'm are, so sorry. I just realized we really have gone too long. Oh, but no, 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 not at all. This is, I, I'd like to go forever and ever. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm glad we ran out of time because we would love to have you back at some point uh, in the future if you'd be up to that. But what Shannon, I did want- Shannon Dora already asked me. She didn't tell you yet. Oh, that's my girl. I'm ahead of you. <laughs> We've already got a few coming up. Like, yeah, I'm ahead of you. Love it. No, because I, I, you know, Doug, this was amazing. And, uh, you know, I just love, love A, catching up uh, and B, continuing to uh, learn uh, from the Godfather or Yoda or whatever we want to call you, whatever you prefer. Um, anything you'd like to just share in closing? Any thoughts for the advisors out there? Uh, and then I know Shannon Doe is going to just ask you to, uh, you know, let us know where we can find you and we'll make sure we get all that publish with the show notes and all that kind of good stuff. But any final thoughts that you had, Doug? No, I really appreciate the opportunity to do this. I, uh, my own purpose is to help myself and others achieve our highest and greatest potential. So I live in alignment or attempt to, uh, uh, but I, I got misaligned uh, this past year uh, and I am re-energized uh, and back, back in the saddle and I, I continue to do most things pretty well, but but I kind of messed up on a few things. Nope, uh, and not. so please be easy on yourselves, listeners. 
none of us are going to live in alignment all the time. But if you develop your emotional and moral competencies, when you misalign and recognize it, then you will be able to get reconnected faster. So that's the benefit of knowing and then turning knowing into doing. And so I wish all of you the best and I appreciate uh, the invitation from Shenandoah and John, one of the great businesses in the country. Well, well, Doug, thank you for the kind words. Um, you're amazing. Uh, and, I, and I wanted to share, and then I'll turn it over to you, Shenandoah, to wrap things up. Um, and I truly mean this, Doug. I, I thought, I was thinking about this a little bit today, right? And I've been thinking a lot about great leaders influence others, right? And I think you define a great leader by how many people you influence. Uh, and I could share of people I know, right? Literally know, like have a conversation with like you, not people that I've read about or read their books or listened to their podcast, but people I know. Um, I can't think of somebody who's impacted more lives than you have. I hear your name within my broker dealer. I've been here since 1994. And I would say your name comes up once a week with people that I think are really smart and influential within our firm. Uh, and I wanna share that with you. You've made a huge impact on my life and many others. And I wanted to publicly say that because I, I think the world of you and I thank you for all you've done for me and others. Well, thank you, that's very nice. Nope. I accept, I might have to bring you on the road with me when we start <laughs> traveling, you can give my introduction. I, I'd be happy to, I'd be humbled and happy to. So with that, Shenandoah, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, so if, if people were interested, Doug, I know you talked about a values exercise and, and you know, you've got a podcast, you've got a couple things going, how could they um, find you online, get in touch with you? Well, I would uh, recommend two things. One, uh, you can get in touch with me through email or you can text me. I'll just give everybody my cell phone. Uh, six, it's, that's a transparency world because uh, it could be discovered anyway. And those of you that would look for it, you'd find it, but I'll just save you the time. Uh, so if you want it, it's 612-747-0004. 612-747-0004. And uh, my email address is dlenick. L-E-N-N-I-C-K, the initial D as in Doug, uh, all small caps, at think, the word think, to the number two, perform.com. Think number two, perform.com. And then I would also suggest uh, that uh, people go to our website, thinktoperform.com, and you can see some of the stuff there. And then I guess one more thing, uh, you can Google me. It turns out uh, there's only one Doug Lenick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have the same problem. I can't blame it on anybody else either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just Google. I, and I haven't Googled me lately, so I don't know what's up there. I, I'm taking a risk, but we're in a <laughs> No embarrassing YouTube business. videos anywhere. No. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the story. Excellent, excellent. Well, all of that information will be in the show notes. Um, and so you'll be able to learn more about Think to Perform, about Doug Lennick. Um, you know, they do have uh, Making the Ideal Real and some other things that you can follow and continue to learn more from. So all of that will be in the show notes. And then come back and join us again next week for another great guest. Bye, everyone. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.